Well, good morning. Before I begin the message today, I want to give you a couple comments about next week. We have a very special Sunday next weekend, and we have a guest speaker. Uh, Jeff Pippo, who is the pastor of Revolution Church here in Salina, is going to be speaking. And uh, I'm going to be sharing and he, uh, about some opportunities next Sunday uh, that we have as a church family to partner with Jeff and Revolution Church to really grow the kingdom of, of, of God in Salina and to impact more and more people for Jesus. So I, I hope you'll tune in next week if you're online or you'll join us in person because you're not going to want to miss this. Jeff is a great guy, loves Jesus, loves our community, and we're thrilled to have him be our, our guest next Sunday. You know, one of the most powerful forces in the world, it can't be argued, is, is water. I mean, if you've ever stood at the rim of the Grand Canyon, you look out and you see the just the complexity and the depth and the size, the expanse of what water has done and worked, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Or maybe uh, you've stood on the shore of a great river like the Mississippi or, or the Amazon or the Congo, and you've watched this, this, this current, this vast expanse of water moving, and, and you know that it's shaped a, a continent it has reshaped the landscape as the water over the decades and centuries has moved through the countryside. Maybe you stood uh, in, or in, in, the, in the ocean and you felt the power of the tide or maybe even a riptide and, and, and you, you see how it's carved channels beneath the surface and it crashes against the shore and, and you know that water directed in a direction over time is a powerful, sometimes frightening force doesn't even have to be high volume. It can just be the steady drip, 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 uh, like, like in a cave. And over time, water does its work. I think of a time personally in 1998 in the fall when I was on a mission trip uh, in the Congo. And we had a, a break in our schedule during the week. And the, the missionaries who are our guides and are taking us around, uh, they took us on a canoe trip uh, on the Rio Negro uh, River. Uh, which is a tributary of the Amazon, and so is in the rainforest. is incredibly beautiful and stunning, and and don't be too impressed because we weren't using paddles. It was an outboard, and but but yeah, we went along the shore, visited a nature reserve, and on the way back we took a, had a shore lunch on the bank of this river. And uh, the guy who was our guide, while he was making lunch for us and pulling lunch out, uh, the group of us, we decided to wade into the water. You know, you're there, you just will say you've waded into this river in the Amazon rainforest. And so we waded into the water, you know, waist deep. And, but a couple of us are a little bit more adventurous. And I and this other guy, uh, this tall Canadian who was younger than me and pretty athletic, we made our way to towards the middle of the river, kind of kind of dog paddling and making our way there. And and it was, you could feel this current. It was really strong. And uh, I, I decided, okay, I, I felt enough, you know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn back. But this guy went farther. And he got out to what was basically the middle of the river. And he was a really good swimmer. And he was doing backstrokes and just like on a, on a treadmill, just in place. Swimming as hard as he could, and he wasn't going anywhere. Uh, currents are very powerful forces in nature. But also in society, in our world, and in our human interactions. These forces, these, these currents, uh, these belief systems, these value systems, these things that, that push us in a certain direction, they're very powerful, aren't they? Well, this morning I'm kicking off a sermon series entitled Against the Current. 
And we're looking at the person of Jesus Christ in the Gospels and the example that he sets for us as a person who lives his life in a different and compelling and often countercultural and sometimes counterintuitive way. He, he in essence, he, he lives his life against the currents that flow around him. Now, Jesus didn't fit into any box. Jesus defied expectation and stereotypes. He surprised and befuddled, sometimes shocked, sometimes angered his critics and even his followers at many turns. The force of society, the force of the Roman Empire, the force of the, 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 the worldview around him, the force of institutional religion pushed strongly. And yet Jesus swam against the current, the forces that came with living in his world. And we, as his people, we are called to do the same. We're called to go against the flow of the world and not simply be swept along with it. Listen to these words of Jesus from Matthew 16. And they sound pretty radical. Listen to these words. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Sounds pretty radical. I mean, doesn't that seem a little bit over the top? If you want to save your life, give it up. If you try to, if you try to live for yourself, you're going to lose it. The world tells us to look out for number one, right? Yes, we're told, be a good person, you know, help others as you can, you know, be a good neighbor and all that. But ultimately, ultimately, if we don't look out for our own self-interests, we can't count or rely upon somebody else doing it for us. That's what the world says. The world tells us you've got to grab life. You've got to seize the moment. You've got to go for the gusto. It's okay to be a little, you know, self-centered. Think of yourself once in a while. That's a healthy thing, right? Squeeze everything you can out of life because this is all there is. And if you don't, you're going to miss out, you'll lose your opportunity, and you will be passed by. That's where the the current, the flow of the world trends. But Jesus says the opposite. Jesus says things like relinquish your life, give up your life, die to yourself, look out for the best interests of the people around you. When you do, Jesus says, you won't miss out. You won't be passed by. Rather, you will gain your life. Don't go with the flow of the world, Jesus says. Go against it. What does that look like, practically speaking? Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four different passages, uh, uh, separate teachings of Jesus to kind of flesh that out. But this morning, we begin with a passage from John 13 that Jennifer just read a few moments ago. And as we see in the passage, Jesus and his disciples, they're gathered in the upstairs room of a house in Jerusalem. It's the night before the Passover festival begins. And they've gathered to share this Passover meal, something the Jewish people had been doing since the days of Moses. And a Passover, as we know from the Old Testament, is the night when the people of Israel were set free from slavery in Egypt, where a, a plague of death passed over the land. But the people of Israel are spared. They're passed over because they put their trust in the, in the blood of, of lamb 
that spread over the doorposts. Which is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for all people when Jesus would give his life as a sacrifice for us so that when we put our trust in him, we are covered, we are protected by, by his shed blood for our sin, and we are spared eternal death through faith in Jesus. Well, anyway, Jesus and his disciples, they've gathered together. and Let's pick it up in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus was not caught off guard by the events of Good Friday. Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to an end, that tomorrow he would go to the cross. So what does Jesus do? Verse 1 again. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Kind of interesting way of putting things. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end of his life. Now, that may not seem that unusual, right? I mean, we've all probably had the experience at some point of having to say goodbye to someone we love. We know their life is coming to an end. As a pastor, I've stood at the bedside of of many people over the years where family and friends gather to say goodbye, to express their love to someone who's passing and, and vice versa. I mean, death is a way of boiling things down to know what's truly important, right? The people in our lives being towards the top of the list, right? So let's take a look at a quick look at the people that Jesus loved to the end. The people who had been in his life for the past three years, who had traveled with him, who had lived with him, and who had seen and gone through so much with him. So kind of a, a ragtag, diverse group of Jewish men. Okay, there's 12 guys. You have some tax collectors. You have some fishermen. Um, you have a revolutionary. You have kind of a skeptical intellectual. Uh, you have a cross-section of, of Jewish people in society. And over those three years, Jesus pours his life into them. He teaches them about who God is. Uh, He teaches them about the law, what it's really about, the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. He teaches them how to treat people. He teaches them about how to get right with God. He, he, He does miracles, all sorts of amazing things. And it's clear from the Gospels that Jesus doesn't just pour into them teaching them stuff. He loves them. He loves them with his whole heart, and they love him back. So Jesus wants to spend one last supper with him, a special meal with great spiritual significance before he goes to the cross. And yet, as we know, as we see in this passage, one of these 12 guys that he loves so well is going to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew it. You know, I've got a group of guys from college that we still keep in close touch with. And we're tight. We love each other. But if I knew that one of them was going to betray me and turn me over to my enemies and I would be executed the next day, I don't think I'd be spending my last night with him. I wouldn't be sharing a meal with him and I certainly would not be washing his feet. But that's what Jesus does. Jesus' love for Judas, even now, is unconditional. It does not waver even now when Judas betrays him. In a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had preached, love your enemies. And now Jesus, the rubber hits the road. And Jesus practices what he has preached. 
So Jesus here, he goes against the current of the world. He loves the people that God has put into his life unconditionally, even at a time like this. And we are called to do the same. Now, what's unusual here in John 13, what goes against the current of what we usually see, is how Jesus expresses his love for them. You know, it would have been understandable, justifiable even, knowing what was coming next, the next day, for Jesus to have said, I want to make the focus about me just one time, just for a few hours. I poured into you guys for three years. I've made it all about you. It's not been about me. It was easy for him to say, hey, maybe guys, just, just tell me it's going to be okay. Why don't you encourage me? Why don't you share with me how much I've impacted you so I have something to kind of gird me as I move forward? Um, maybe make my, my, my favorite meal. You know, me, I'd be ribeye, medium rare, baked potatoes, sour cream, butter, bacon on top, uh, grilled Brussels sprouts, olive oil, sea salt, uh, Martinelli salad, and homemade peach pie with homemade vanilla ice cream. I did good. That's all I'd want. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. He goes against the current. He again surprises us. Verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus, Son of God, who spoke the universe into existence, Jesus, the only perfect person who has walked this earth, Jesus, full of grace and truth, Jesus, worthy of all our praise, Jesus, at whom every knee will one day bow, Jesus kneels as his disciples' feet, including the man who's going to betray him, takes off their sandals and washes their dirty, smelly feet. Jesus demonstrates to us that no task and no person is beneath him. Author Scott Peck believes the washing of the disciples' feet is one of the most significant events in the life of Jesus. He writes, Until that moment, the whole point of things in the world had been for someone to get on top, and once he had gotten on top, to stay on top, or else attempt to get farther up. But here this man, already on top, teacher, rabbi, master, suddenly got down on the bottom and began to wash the feet of his followers. In that one act, Jesus symbolically overturned the whole social order, hardly comprehending what was happening. Even his own disciples were almost horrified by his behavior. You see how Peter reacts here in verse 6? He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You can hear his like, what? What's going on? Jesus replies, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. You see, Peter understood how things work in the world. Great people don't do things like this. They don't debase themselves by doing feet. Masters don't serve their servants. Rabbis don't serve their disciples. And the Son of God does not wash the feet of a man created in his image. But that's exactly what Jesus does. And if we want to go against the currents of this world, we must understand that no task and no person is beneath a follower of Jesus Christ. 
As Elizabeth Nordquist says, when you belong to King Jesus, you can no longer write on your dossier or your resume, I do not do feet. That's precisely what we are to do because Jesus did. Take a look now at verses 14, 15, and 17. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do these things. How does that work? How does serving others like Jesus did lead to good things for us? A little bit earlier in John chapter 10, Jesus said these words, I have come that you may have abundant life. Abundant life. Now you ask somebody on the street, what is an abundant life? Maybe this would be your answer as well. It's understandable. The world thinks of abundant life as a life of abundance, right? It's, It's a life full of all sorts of good things like those cornucopias you see Thanksgiving, just overflowing with all sorts of good things to eat. A life full of wealth or travel or accomplishments or acclaim or education or lots and lots of family and friends, lots of experiences. And in the life of a follower of Jesus, these things might be present. If so, be grateful, be thankful. But the abundant life that Jesus speaks of, that he came to give us more about joy and love and hope and peace and sacrifice and service. It seems counterintuitive. It goes against the current of the world's thinking. But satisfaction and meaning in life come through sacrifice and service. Because that's how God has designed us. We are created in God's image, and which means that, of course, we function best when we operate as we are designed. And how, what is God's image? God is love. God is constantly giving of himself. God, through Jesus, pours out his life for us. Jesus did not think of himself throughout his time on earth. Even at the Last Supper, wouldn't have been justified to do so. He shows his love, and he sacrifices and he serves you know think of the people that you know in your life who are the most um who are the happiest most joyful most at peace people you know no matter the circumstances in their lives they just exude this joy and this peace they're they're secure and happy in themselves they're okay with the world around them they just they just have this peace i think of I think of a woman named Florence from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. When I served up there as a pastor, uh, I met Florence at the time. She was in her early, mid-70s. She's gone to the Lord now. Um, But Florence is a very kind of meek and mild woman, uh, kind of behind-the-scenes person, drove an old car, very quiet and meek, um, never married, didn't have kids, didn't have grandkids. Uh, Her world was pretty much confined to... Uh, maybe a couple hundred mile radius around the city. Just a nice old lady in the world's eyes. But she exuded incredible peace and joy. She loved Jesus deeply. And she was kind and thoughtful and she volunteered countless hours at the church and in the community. Uh, She visited people 
And I know despite her limited income that she helped others sacrificially of her resources. She swam against the current. She lived her life like Jesus. I would say that she lived an abundant life. I never heard her complain or had regrets about the things she had not experienced in life. She lived an abundant life. So later in in John 13, Judas leaves the room to go and betray Jesus. And and then Jesus takes the opportunity to drive home the meaning and significance of what he has done through washing their feet. And he sums it up with this. A new command I give you, love one another. Which sounds good until he adds this part. As I have loved you, he had to throw that in. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It makes it a lot harder, doesn't it? It's a lot easier to just love one another. Okay, we can do the best we can. No, as I have loved you, love one another, which is truly against the tide, against the current. Sacrificial, other-centered, humble, motivated by love, service. Now you might hear this and say, well, that's a noble sentiment, but not very practical, kind of naive I mean, you, you live your life like that. Maybe you'll make a small ripple in light of the huge current of self-interest that flows through this world, pushing us along. But don't believe it. Loving like Jesus loved is a force greater than anything in this world. It's a force that has changed the world and the lives of countless people who have followed Jesus Christ in his example have have carved channels and canyons of deep love and change and life and sacrifice and service. Now, if you're looking for a way to do this, I know many of you are already serving, but if you're looking for a way to do this this coming Saturday, Wes is going to talk about it in a minute, we have the opportunity through Spring Spruce up here in Sina to, to, to work with, with, with people in our community, uh, to, to impact people who are having a tough time of it, to make a difference in our community. So, love others as Jesus has first loved you. Follow his example and swim against the current. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for sending your son Jesus Uh, who poured out his life on our behalf, who humbled himself, who made himself a servant, um, who has set the example for us, who lived a life totally different than the things around him. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us through the power of your Spirit to be different, Help us to be different, Lord, to be distinct, to be people who give of ourselves, who give up our lives for your sake and for the sake of the world around us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live sacrificially, to look to the interests of 